Okay, that's fine. You want you want the elite? Oh, I'll take them all. What, all the all the handguns? No, everything. All your guns. Sure. <laughs> that's what I was thinking. Look, man. Oh, yeah. If, if you brought money for all of them, I'll, I'll cut you a deal. You can take them all off my hands. No, I'm going to kill you. Hey, what the fuck, David? Hello there, and welcome to Pivotal Film. I am Tom Nolan. And I'm Mario Ponzio, and this is episode 63. No touching. You got it. <laughs> Why would it have to do with anything? This the, the movie we're going to talk about today, No Touching, is, is just one of the favorite parts of it. Mm-hmm. Just repeatedly saying no touching. Wait, which movie? The, uh, the A-Block movie. There's a part where, like, him and Carol Ann are hanging out. It's like, no touching! Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just keeps happening. You know what's funny is that I made a note about that when I was watching it, and then I was just like, I don't know if it was a joke. It sounds like a joke. Yeah, it kind but of. It, but I also like, just might be serious. It's hard to say. So I just decided not to mention it. The you know else was serious was the It Chapter 2 trailer dropped today. Yeah. Um, we just talked about it. It is very, uh, as I'm thinking about it, it's very teasery in the sense that you just get a, a lot of very brief I mean, you glimpses get, of, after the, the, the one After the, the extended scene, scene, yeah. You just get very the, brief Mrs. glimpses of, of everything else that's happening. Cursing. I'm very sad to see that Paul Bunyan is going to make an appearance of some kind. I don't know if he will be animated, oh, I didn't but he will be Bunyan in there. there. Yeah, it was one, uh, Pennywise is jumping off of him and he's got like big, like upside down pyramid of balloons. Oh, he's jumping off Paul Bunyan. Paul Bunyan. Yeah. What if they're just gonna like do an alteration of it? I hope so. I, I'm assuming they're gonna do what they did with the last one, which is they're just gonna put Pennywise in these situations instead of like Paul Bunyan coming to life and screaming obscenities at him. He's just gonna be Pennywise there, no. doing it instead. And I think the the things that they've kept, the scenes that looked like they kept the the Adrian Mellon scene and whatnot, seem like are, are good for that film. Yeah, like they fit with the It Chapter One. Kind of idea, and I like the, uh, I like the lack of a jump scare in that that opening scene that they showed. Well, there's that one when that when um, Mrs. Kirsch just kind of she's in the background getting tea, and she just the naked slither. I wouldn't really call that a jump well, scare. That, I think that's what I like about these it movies versus a lot of the other horror movies that we've kind of seen, you know, Pet Cemetery or. Um, Anything else? I can't think of anything right now because I'm just not in a Hellboy. thinking mood. Hellboy. Um, Hellboy have jump scares besides they, the literal existence of the movie Hellboy. Their jump scares in this move in in the it movie, the first one specifically, were very overwhelming. So like when um, they, it is it is on like Donkey Kong. <laughs> this is, we play a lot of Donkey Kong at my house now. Okay. Um, The jump scares are very so when like it is coming out of the the camera and you know or the um, the screen and they're like turn it off turn it off and then yeah. just you know it keeps flashing and stuff like that um, or when it's like you know that thing when it's like coming after them when they're in the house um, other than that it's just this really intense sense of dread 
this really intense sense of there's nothing you can do. You're yeah. all fucked. And it kind of seems like it leans into that dread. And Which is good. I yeah. think it's good. No, I, I agree. And here's helping. We're going to have a big conversation about that in September. Well, we're going to do out. it. We've been promising it, and we're going to do it. We're going to do an It review plus just massive Stephen King movies and things conversation. You know, today, today's actually a good conversation of, of murder, I think. Almost all of our movies today discussed involve massive amounts of murder. Besides, besides your number 63. Pe- people die. Yeah. People a, die. A poor, a poor Dennehy. Um, and similar to murder, uh, a famous scene from The House to Jack Bill, a movie we keep talking about, cutting the uh, feet off of little baby ducks. Yeah. Should we be cutting the feet off the beer today that you brought us? Well, there's beer everywhere now. <laughs> the Pivotal Film Studios filling up with, with one of the most popular beers in Connecticut. This is uh, New England Brewing's Fuzzy Baby Ducks. It's an India Pale Ale, 6.2%. It's got a unicorn with a rainbow shooting out of its ass and ducks. Also, is that, does a unicorn have a vagina displayed, or is that just supposed to be the No, the I think it's just crack? the anus. Okay. It's really, it's really open there, Mario. Yeah. Those ducks are fucking awesome. I, um, I, went to, I went there. They're out of Woodbridge. I went there to get some of the uh, peach fuzz to bring to a party in New York. I'm that guy now sometimes, which is the, you live near New England. I want something from there. You must bring it with you. Um, and they had a couple of cases of this behind the counter. And I wasn't planning on getting it, and I was just like, meh. We get that for the podcast. It's, it's $12. $12 a six-pack for what is still like one of the more popular beers from New England. It, it, Brewing. All things considered from like from a New England brewing company as like a whole, um, they are fair fairly priced, their beers. They are not gougers. Yeah, I would I walked out of there with two growlers and a case of this stuff and it was like forty one dollars and I was like, Good. And I had to buy a growler. So there you go. You had to buy Because I didn't no. have I only had one like big growler. Only one sixty four ouncer. You had to buy a growler from New England. Okay. From them. I mean well, it's it's actually dropped off the top 100, Fuzzy Baby Ducks has, it looks like. And what? It, the top 100 off of Beer Advocate used to be in the top 100. I don't know what that is. But so just a, 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 I'm going to drink it. A bunch of beer. I'm going to drink it. Well, this, this top 100 is looking bad. There's some bad beers in this top 100, Beer Advocate. Two-Hearted Ale is not that great. Bells? I keep hearing about this. I yeah. like the. It's pretty good. I keep hearing about this JL Ale from from Cigar City, which I think is maybe out of Florida. I'm not really sure. I don't think that's too great. Um, is it out of Florida? It is out of Florida. Mario, you know your fucking beer. <laughs> Ladies. Oh, yeah. Another one's <laughs> decent, but. JLE's on here twice. Sculpin from Ballast Point. Bullshit. I like Sculpin. Okay. No, no, you can't like Ballast Point. Ballast Point's a garbage. I don't mega like Ballast Point company. because it's when I buy Sculpin, it's like eighteen dollars for a six pack. Um, but Sculpin's a pretty good beer. Ballast Point, and and it's. Um, Did you see that Dogfish Head and Sam Adams are like, merging? It's like Constellation Brands. What? Did you see Dogfish Head and Sam Adams are merging? Oh my god! This is bad. It's all bad. All these macro that's, breweries. That's why we have I mean, least, New England Brewing Company. At least Dogfish Head and Sam Adams are somewhat still smaller. But, you know, you have Ballast Point now owned by, like, Constellation Brands. Yeah. It's like a Fortune 500 company. They, 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 the people that own Corellona and Modelo. And it's like, really? Hmm. You're going to pretend like you're brewing an actual good beer? I have not actually had the fuzzy yet. 
I'm just complaining right now. Um, <laughs> I'm you're gonna not stopping about the beer. You're in a rent. You're mode. gonna like. You're gonna like put a, this beer in the top 100 when you're putting fucking garbage macro breweries in there. There is a chance though, that your beer advocate top 100 list means nothing. It could. It used to mean something though. Well, that is weird. Because it used to actually have like a good good list. Who cares? Just go to the liquor store and buy some beers. Or go to your local brewery and buy them. Maybe. If we didn't drink anything but New England and East Rock Brewing for the rest of this podcast, I'd actually be very happy. Because I wouldn't feel let down or I mean, counterweight. Yeah, we'd want some every, counterweight in there. Every week we would be drinking something that we would be fairly certain is going to be very drinkable. anybody who's thinking about moving to New Haven who, who enjoys drinking beer, this is, this is a good, good center. Yeah. You have Fox Farm, counterweight, New England... You got your a little distance out. You got fat orange cat. You got beard. You have stubborn beauty. All beers, which are fundamentally at their core, Cold Creek, at their Kent Falls, at their core, significantly like better than Ballast Point or any of this fucking oh, other yeah, garbage yeah, yeah, yeah. you're throwing out there. I would rather drink the fuzzy than the Ballast Point any day. Yeah. Or Ballast, Ballast Sculpin. Grapefruit Sculpin. Sculpin, but it's, I still think it tastes good. This is, this is a solid IPA. It's not my favorite. It's not. Near my top, like, it's five. A little, it's from, a little hard. I don't think it's hard. It's aggressive. It's, I think it's a little dull-ish. I think it's aggressive. Really? Maybe dull in the sense that it's not flavorful. Like, it doesn't have a lot of interesting flavors going on. It does have a very forward hop to it, though. See, yeah, that's, that's where I say, like, it's, it's kind of like... No, I don't want to say dull. It's a, it's a little, like, numb to me in the sense that it, it's not very hoppy. Like, something like they're super not as much hoppier. Mm, yep. uh, sea Hag is, like... The pinnacle of beer that we'll be talking about soon. Mm-hmm. It is my favorite beer from the local area. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just you know a ton of hops. That's that's the old lasting West Coast style IPA, and this is kind of like Fuzzy's interesting that like, it was one of the first beers that kind of culminates into what would become the New England style IPA. It's the first like dipping their fingers, but you still want to keep that hops. Mm-hmm. So you're bringing pulling back on the hops, uh, introducing. Something that's more like flowery and not necessarily floral, as it's known now. Right. It's it's actually like a flower. It's got like a dandelion or kind of like a rose. To, you know, like they have dandelion. You've never had a salad with like dandelion or flowers mm-hmm. on it. It's it's got that kind of flavor to mm. it. Um, well, people really like it. They stand in it's line. It's good. It's it's on a really sunny good days beer. on Saturdays. I think because it's, it's a really even beer. It's like very balanced. Well, it's just I mean, for whatever reason, it's not available all the time, so. People hang. It's becoming more readily available. I think it's it's available over like two months now, which is less frequently. But Super Nut, which beers. is one of like their highest rated ones, is actually available now in liquor stores. Mm-hmm. And if you get a gold cap Super Nut, you bring that like in your six pack. Mm-hmm. You bring that into New England, and they give you a prize. It's like the Willy Wonka. They saw your head off. As they do. <laughs> I was like, they they give you the gold thing. And they they put up a window and they go. Breathe into it and slowly write hacksaw. And why would we be talking about that, Tom? Um, because we're sick. We yeah. got problems. Yeah, we'll be right back with our number sixty-three. <laughs> uh, no, we're talking about that because uh, we watched the Netflix original movie, "Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile." Do you remember the night we met? Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you have been witness to the unspeakable horrors of the defendant's heinous crimes. You have seen ghastly injuries, smashed in faces, 
broken jaws. Will the defendant please rise? For years, I've carried this guilt that I'm to blame for everything. <laughs> if only I hadn't trusted you. I promise you'll never leave me, Liz. It's about another missing girl, isn't it? Ted, did you do it? No. Uh, this film is directed by Joe Berlinger, who directed the Netflix, the four-part Netflix docu-series called Conversations with a Killer, the Bundy Tapes, he also previously which was released won, earlier this year. He also previously won the Oscar, I believe, for Paradise Lost, that trilogy. No, he didn't win an Oscar for Paradise Lost, I don't did he, think. Did he not win? I think he got nominated for Paradise Lost, but he's a, I mean, he's a cult hero for Paradise Lost. He also directed um, Nom- he got The Brothers nominated. Keeper. He was nominated for um, the third one. The Metallica documentary, Some Kind of Monster, which I really like. Um, he's from Bridgeport, Connecticut. He's from Bridgeport, Connecticut, yeah. The home of the next NXT TakeOver pay-per-view. That's WWE. The home of the felon mayor. <laughs> yeah, that's true, too. I think it's on the sign when you drive into Bridgeport via 95. Brewport, home of the felon mayor. Home of the felon mayor. <laughs> and that failed Trump project. Mm. Um, so this film is uh, unique, I suppose, in that its dramatization of the Ted Bundy, uh, you know, biography is supposed to be told through the eyes, and I'm saying supposed to be on purpose through the eyes of um, Elizabeth Kendall, played by Lily Collins. She is Ted Bundy's kind of serious girlfriend that he had in at, towards the end of his kind of reign of terror um from the documentaries it seems like after a certain point she's like the one really serious girlfriend that she had and he would you know he kept coming back to her and he called her a lot and he wrote her a lot of letters when he was in jail and she was very supportive of him for a while um she uh turned him in to the police and felt um you know apparently very guilty about it um I guess this movie is also interesting because it casts High School Musical and uh, Baywatch Baywatch alumnus Zac Efron in the role of Ted Bundy, which I think for the movie that this Joe Berlinger wants to make really works pretty well. Um, I'm not sure what else works really well here, but I would like to hear. I'm interested to hear what you think of this movie. It's it's incredibly pedestrian. Yes. So it's 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 dull in that way. There's nothing interesting going on in the the production of this film. It's 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 just boring. Um, it is very boring. It's all the performances are are flat, save one, which which I'll save for the mm-hmm. end of exuding upon. Well, <laughs> most all the performances are pretty flat. I like Haley Joel Osment. In I it. like him in it too. I just like Haley Joel Osment a lot. I think it was he played a really good supportive everyman character yeah um and i totally i mean he looked like young al bundy i mean not al bundy um al um what the fuck is his name al from home improvement yeah whatever his name is al borland al borland he looked like young al borland but other (laughs) it still worked his face is so small it's funny (laughs) we love you holy jaws when you're still he's good in though um but everything about, the, like, like from the cinematography to the way it's edited to some of the shots, like, even during that, that highly dramatized final confrontation between Elizabeth, you know, between Lily Collins' character and, and Ted Bundy, uh-huh. um, I think the performances are perhaps really strong. Uh, but 
that that kind of like back and forth attempt at like a Jonathan Demme style shot is, uh-huh. is boring. It doesn't work. It doesn't carry the tension. Um, maybe that entire like breathing on it with the hacksaw is like one interesting thing that it right. does. But everything else about this, from the jumping to see how far he can fall to like not break his legs or. You know, showing the murders or the aftermath of the murders or even integrating, you know, live, uh, not live, but integrating stock footage with the fictionalized version of it. It's it's boring. It's it's really flat. Yeah. Well, especially because the I mean, I want to talk a little bit about this, you know, as the conversation goes on, but especially because this documentary came out in 2000. This just came out like four months ago. And it goes into all of these things that we see dramatized in this movie into so much more detail I'm not hundred. If you're not going to do anything really interesting with the movie, then why even bother doing it? I mean, I I listened to an interview with Joe Berlinger, and he was saying how one of the things he wanted to do is he wanted to te- he wanted to do two things. He wanted to tell the story from um, uh, Liz's eyes, and he wanted to kind of have a did he or didn't he type of feeling throughout which, the whole movie, which is insane because we all know that Ted like. Well, Who at doesn't know Ted first, Bundy? At first, I thought it was going to be a very smart move in the sense that with it being kind of framed through Liz's eyes, it was going to be a, even when she's not a part of the scene, mm-hmm. it was going to, to you know, proclaim his innocence and kind of like be he was being set up. And then it was going to slowly transition to the fact that, you know, no, he was guilty. Which makes sense. And it would have been, it would have been smart from, from the narrative standpoint of her eyes. But, but then that the, doesn't happen. Well, they can, I mean... They cast Zac Efron for a reason, I guess, which means that in the middle of a movie, it's not through her eyes anymore, and she disappears for most of it, and we just see Ted yeah, Bundy that's, doing that's Ted Bundy you, things. That's where you realize, like, it's just like he was trying to do, like, Berlinger, um, Berlinger was trying to do something kind of clever, which which isn't isn't clever. Well, it could have been clever, and it could have been a really good, and, and I actually think that somewhere in this is, like, a fairly good idea, which is that idea, for a movie. Um... You know, especially because he was, uh, you know, he was so famous. Um, you know, you could, you could have easily gotten information to her, like about Ted Bundy, for her to react to and for her to have conversations about. But anytime she had a conversation with anybody about anything regarding Ted Bundy, it was like, "You're drinking too much. You gotta let him go. You're drinking too much. You really gotta let him go. Don't you think it's time for you to let him go?" It's like <laughs> this is not an interesting movie, and you could just go and that's. The stu- I mean, something I really thought was dumb is at the end of the movie, they showed, like, the actual footage of things that we just saw in the movie. Yeah. Just show us the actual footage. Why are we dramatizing this with Zac Efron? I don't get it. If you, just ha- if you have footage of Ted Bundy coming out of the elevator and kind of accosting the attorney general or the, the state marshal or whatever it is and, you know, making him look like an idiot, just show me that. Oh, you did show me that in the documentary that I just watched which three is, months ago. Which is interesting because, like, I don't know the background in terms of you know what Berlinger did first. What did he do? Confessions, you know? He did confessions first. Uh, like I know it was released first, but like this has been kind of brewing for a no, long. No, he made while. confessions. He so he was in the in the pre-production stage of confessions when they kind of hatched the idea to do. This movie, and which which is something I also thought they were going to do interesting, and in a way that looking at the stock footage of Bundy comes off as kind of 
not suave, not not really intelligent. Yes. He comes he comes off as very sort of like this guy's obviously a fake, but that's looking through the veil of like twenty to thirty years of it. Mm-hmm. Looking through the veil of of what would be considered charming, uh, you know, the Ted Bundy of you know talking to that Florida um, marshal. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the character's name. Um, you know, outside that elevator, like the way he talks to him in the in the real footage or the way he talks in the interviews, it comes off as like, oh, this guy's clearly a sociopath. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the one thing I thought was going to be interesting was like that modernization where you see Zach Etheron do that do those kind of performances and, and do that scene. It's it's a little more modernized. Mm-hmm. So it's somewhat maybe slightly more believable to where like, oh, we could see how somebody could maybe fall for this. But at the same time, I think that's just carried by what Efron's doing, which is a weird thing to say. Yeah. But um <laughs> Zach Efron's performance carries this movie. Yeah. There it, it is. Yeah. We put it out there. <laughs> I mean that's that's where it is like the one thing that stands out about this film is just... I think it's really good. Yeah, I, think, I think... I think the, he's my, probably my second favorite performance so far, male performance of the year so far. Oh, well, mine's... We weren't going to talk about what mine, my first and second and third and fourth and fifth are, but we... Well, I mean, like, he's up there. He's in the... Con- he's up there. Yeah, he's pretty good. Maybe I'm just really shocked by how, like... Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I I think there was... In a, in a movie full of people that's... There's a lot of eye acting, which I, which I yeah, am, in, enjoyed. In a movie that seems to be full of people phoning it in, like AKA Jim Parsons and John Malkovich. Well, the, the great thing about John Malkovich is Terry Kinney. I think that just Terry Kinney. I'm the, fairly certain that's just what Terry Kinney well, looks Dylan, like. Though. Dylan Baker phones it in. And you're like Dylan Baker. I didn't know he could possibly phone it in. Where did you, where did but you come thing, from? The thing I love though about John Malkovich is like phoning in, which he is doing. Um, that he never sits up. <laughs> Not only that, but for one thing, it continues our theory that John Malkovich is locked into a strong contract with Netflix. This doesn't start out originally as a Netflix movie. It gets distribution rights bought. And I think right. they only bought the rights because John Malkovich was in it, and they need John Malkovich in more movies. There's just a lot of famous people in this movie. But well, but the thing I do enjoy about Malkovich as a performance in this is it's still kind of like over-the-top weird at, at points. Like, mm-hmm. Even more so than the archive footage, you're like John Malkovich is just really leading into a dangerous liaison style. Well, because John he doesn't—he's not selling like the good old boy thing to it, like the Florida thing. He sounds like he's in love with it. Yeah, he's like super <laughs> flamboyant, and it's amazing. Um, I don't think about Jim Parsons phoning it in. Do we think Jim Parsons is phoning it in, or I'm more firmly committed to the thought that Jim Parsons is actually just a bad actor? Here's what I'll say: Have we seen Jim Parsons yet? In something good. Yeah, and I haven't I mean, seen. I, haven't I have seen not seen stuff. his stage stuff. I didn't see. I didn't watch Normal Heart. I haven't seen any like. Um, He's bad in Hidden Figures. Um, hidden Figures. I didn't see a, Hidden Figures. No. Um, you couldn't see it. You know, whatever. He's. I think the problem here is that because the script doesn't give us an opera, doesn't develop any of these characters besides Ted Bundy, like past a certain point. At some point, Jim Parsons as the DA doesn't exist, and then Jim Parsons exists, and then he stops existing again. Yeah, there's a lot and of And so like he just like comes in, in delivers and lines, and then leaves the movie. Like, it, like randomly introducing that Carol Ann character, that uh, Kea so- Scoladario character. Well, she's, I mean, she's having a her, key figure. Yeah, but then having her in the beginning, then float out of existence, then float back into existence. So she falls, and that's the thing. Maybe this really happened, but when you're watching a movie that's doing this, you start to question, like, so she just followed him around the country forever until he ditched Liz? Or yeah, what I, did she do? I mean, I, I don't know too much about Ted Bundy. I actually, when I was a little kid, I used to read a lot about serial killers, but mm-hmm. Ted Bundy, 
That doesn't mean anything, ladies. Um, <laughs> Ted, it's the reverse, ladies. Ted Bundy di- didn't interest me just because he was scummy. Like it was, he was just really scummy. Well, so that's the other thing about serial killer. Not that all, not that all, not all serial killers are pretty scummy, but there's nothing interesting. I don't he think was, you have he to was defend so defend the like. No, I bet my the moral quality of serial killers. No, by making it sound like other serial killers aren't scummy, but I meant there was like. Not not depth, but there was more like a fascination, not a fascination, an interest to the serial killers in the motivation. Right. Whereas Ted Bundy was just like like Dahmer is it strikes you as like kind of like a really fucked up guy. Sure, yeah, and yeah, like yeah. there's like something there to read about. Right. Um, you know, Wayne Jack Casey, Ramirez, Ramirez, yeah, Ramirez are you know Son of Sam or Zodiac, especially the uncaught ones like Zodiac or mm-hmm. or you know Jack the Ripper. There's interest in there and intrigue into like the the, the methodology. Ted Bundy was just this kind of like scummy piece of shit well, guy here's what I'll say. who thought he was really right. clever, but was actually a huge idiot. And here's what I'll say about that: is that if Ted Bundy, Ted Bundy was clearly a successful serial killer, and he did it because. What everyone says is that he is a dyed-in-the-wool classic example sociopath. He could charm his way into your life, into your car, to get you into his car or whatever. He could charm his way in and out of situations, blah, blah, blah. could he? Because, like, he... He shot his shot like a thousand times and would get turned no, down, you know, but like, this is like times. how he got moved from state to state and was able to just kind of go on this like murder spree is that he could just kind of weave his way in and out of society, blah, 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 blah. This movie doesn't show a sociopath. They show someone for whom any woman who is in the immediate vicinity of Zac Efron slash Ted Bundy is turning her head and smiling broadly, and then chatting with her friends about the guy she just saw. He doesn't have to be a sociopath. He just has to have a face <laughs> in this movie. Oh, that's, that's all that's he needs. True. He just walks down the street, and all the women around him are like, "Oh, which is, oh look at that!" Which is sad that like Berlinger makes that decision because you know Efron's doing pretty good work. In terms of playing like that sociopathic tendencies, I think he with, could. Like, there's a lot of like deadness behind his eyes in certain points, yeah. which is interesting. But like. You need your director to work with your actors. Well, one of the scenes, and, that really... and it just seems like Efron's doing way too much work for the rest of the production not doing much of it. One... Oh, go ahead. And, and I guess the the biggest thing that bugs me is, is talk about that final confrontation. Um, like I've seen, you know, Lily Collins is typically a pretty. You know, I think she was okay all right. Actress. I just don't think she's enough to do. She's okay in this. Um, I've liked her and other stuff I've seen, like. Even something like like Mirror Mirror, which isn't a great movie. She mm-hmm. she's at least she does stuff. She works uh, around. A, it seems like she kind of like one of those people who takes direction well, like mm-hmm. works with with the director. I don't, I don't know. I was making an assumption, but but my problem with that is is in that final confrontation, you know, that's that's shot in that faux demi style. Like Efron's doing a lot of work of like this kind of like smiling behind his eyes, like he's like, oh, I'm going to trick her, like sort of thing, and then she's kind of like acting flaccidly almost like like there's a very forceful very defined way in which her emotion, her emotions are coming out whereas he's doing a lot more work in like right. dual layers well and a better director would have been like pl- like would have made that scene several times to be like play off of this no the better director would have said to the screenwriter she can't just say where what happened to the head and very easily set up this stupid hacksaw thing. Yeah, I mean, which is the one, That's true. which is the one part where, like, I thought the sound design was really good, where they incorporated like the sound of a hacksaw cutting 
into oh, the music. Oh, well, yeah, and I guess, like... And I was like, that's From a production cool. standpoint, like, that was interesting, but, like, from an actual construction right. of the scene well, standpoint, it I'm not, fails. I'm not sure that Berlinger really know, knew 100% what he was trying to do, because there was a really interesting scene, I thought, when, kind of, um, when Liz... When all these things that Ted might have... Who Ted might really have been were kind of dawning on her, and we were seeing all of these situations that we had seen... We had seen parts of these situations, but we hadn't seen where, like, the point of view that we were seeing at that moment. So, you know, there's there's that scene where they're in Utah and they're partying together and, like, he gets her, you know, down to her underwear and he's kind of, like, standing over her. And we don't see him do any of this stuff, like, with his fingers and he just, like, stares at her in the half dark until, like, halfway through the movie. It's like, why don't you give us this information. Like, why don't you show us these things in real time? Why are you withholding these things from us? I mean, I guess the thing that he's supposed to be doing is that, like, she's remembering now the way things really were and not this reflective kind of glow of how charming he is. But if he's really trying to hold us, like, hold the knowledge that he's like a sicko up in the air, wouldn't we have to see, besides the dog barking at him, and him just like staring down a, a dog, which is like such some a of that sicko behavior, scene. right? Wouldn't we have to see a little bit of sicko behavior, yeah. just a little bit? And maybe she doesn't see it, but we can see it. We're still people, or even like conversations where he's his conversation, like for example, the early parts of the conversation in the scene from It Chapter Two, where you can kind of see, like, even though you know it's Pennywise from the very beginning, you can see some weirdness <laughs> before it gets to the part where she pauses after the dead aren't really. You know, the dead are never really dead. Right. Um, like, there's good hints of tension and whatnot in that. And, mm-hmm. and weirdness that maybe, you know, Beverly doesn't see, but that the audience can see. And, like, have that with, with Efron here or Bundy. Mm-hmm. Have some conversations with a third party where it's just kind of weird or he's doing something that's kind of weird. Like the law library scene. Right, like right. Maybe have him smiling or staring for too long or doing something interesting. But, like, instead he just seems like a normal guy who's getting picked on. And it just the entire movie, the entire, like, first 40 minutes of that movie just make him seem like a guy who's, so like... So, oh, he's a normal guy who's getting picked on who they've already said is Ted Bundy a thousand times. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm not sure why we need to think that he's, like, we need to sympathize with him or anything. I mean, my big... I mean, I'm gonna... We can end on this or we can keep going or we're doing whatever. I'm having a little bit of trouble with this new rash of storytelling... I don't know what I want to call it. It almost seems like this, um, like a plague that's happening with with movies and, and idea creators in the sense that there's a documentary about something and then very soon after there's a dramatization of that exact documentary. So there's this, there's the JT Leroy movie that just came out with Laura Dern and Kristen Stewart, which is just tells the same story that author, the JT Leroy story, directed by Jeff... Um, Furzik told in 2016 with a lot more depth and detail. I mean, I, I mean, I, I just watched that JT Leroy movie, and um, Laura Dern and and, and um, Kristen Stewart are doing some good work. But you know who does better work? The, the woman who actually lived it and is telling all about it in the documentary about her. And then there's that you know there's this Elizabeth Holmes who's inventor from on HBO the the Theranos woman, and then Jennifer Lawrence is going to play her in a movie that's coming out next year and then Kate McKinnon is going to play her in a Hulu like 
series that's going to come out. It's like, but why would you even bother dramatizing this? This already exists. We already or, or know all like, this stuff. Things From like, the horse's mouth, we are getting this information. I think one of the best examples of that, too, and a little less recent, is um, Man on Wire is one of the better documentaries of the like, oh, past yeah, 20 yeah, years. Yeah, good one. And they make it into just kind of a really pretty but very boring The Walk, which is yeah. a movie nobody remembers. When are they going to make a dramatization of Free Solo? And they're going to call it like Solo Free or something. Then who's going to no, who's going to play be, that? No, it's going to be called the Climb. Please. And, and who's going to play that guy? Uh, who's tall enough to play him? Has to have wide hands. Who's that Greek basketball player for the Bucks? I bet you he can act. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. We demand one percent of the gross if he gets cast. What am I doing? Nothing. Just climb. <laughs> There's where? There's this without ropes. I can't. I don't know how to climb. Okay. Without without ropes. All right. Just do it. It's gonna be cinema verite. No footage. But I just think it's weird. It's, it just seems really lazy. And if you're gonna, yeah, if you're gonna do that, like make it interesting. And that's why I mean, that's, like this... at least like milk, like something like milk, a movie I'm not out of love with. Does something interesting with? Uh, yeah. Was it Life of Harvey Milk? The time mm-hmm. Life of Times of Harvey Milk, like. That documentary is a good, solid documentary. The film's really interesting because you're doing something extremely interesting. And what do they do? I mean, and I just kind of want to. I, I want to articulate this. I just. What do they? Was it a Gus Van Zant movie? I feel very yeah. dirty that I just <laughs> said something. Nice I think about the thing that they're doing film. is that in that instance they're dramatizing. They're giving us the emotions of something that we haven't been able to see the emotions of. And I think in the Bundy documentary and in the JT Leroy documentary, we're getting exact emotions. From the people that were involved in this thing, or the facsimile so of em- or the facsimile of emotions that or, they, they hold you, or an analysis of that facsimile of emotions, because in that Bundy documentary, the guy that's talking to Bundy is analyzing the things that Bundy is telling him on the tapes the whole time. Yeah. So, like, what's the hell is the point of a a, a narrative dramatization of the thing that already exists that's that already done has a, better a dramatization? Of so, it. who ca- I don't understand. Who cares? And this just seems it just the fact that it's Netflix, Netflix, four months away from each other. It just seems really strange. Listen, man, Disney Plus is going to take a bunch of shit from them, so they got to fill up. They got to fill it up with, with serial killer docs <laughs> and dramatizations of those serial and killer Christina docs. Applegate hit and run comedies. That actually looks kind of all right. Yeah, it looks all right. The production value on that looks pretty good. I'm not going to watch it, but it looks pretty good. So the, some of the some of the like, like there's a new season of Santa Clarita Diet. This is a show I actually enjoy. Yeah, it's basically I, I call that show Timothy Oliphant and Nathan Fillion present a show. See, I could never watch that show because I hate Timothy Olyphant. Is he easier D'Onofrio? No, I, I mean, I just hate him. I think he stinks. I'm actually no, really, bu- I'm really bummed that he's in this new Quentin Tarantino movie. And that he's really happy about it. I like, I like him. Have we talked about this before? I really enjoy. I, lo- I love Timothy Olyphant. He's like one of my favorite actors that are in. Have we talked yeah, about I that Yeah, I feel like happy. And yet we're still friends. Well, that's because your opinion's wrong. That's cool. <laughs> we'll be right back with... Uh, you know what? Because of that, we'll be right back with Tom's number 63. Oh, God. Did I catch that? I'll take it out. <laughs> Welcome back. Um, my number 63 this week is very complicated. Um, it was a thing that I was afraid of when I was making my list, which was, and I think we've maybe had this conversation a couple times off air. Which is the idea of recency bias. Like something you had maybe just watched that hit you in just the right way. And you're like, fuck, that's got to be on the list. That's got to be one of those movies. 
Um, I had a couple of those, but I, I just stuck through. You did good. I mean, and that's, I wish I could have done it, but one of the movies that this, my number 60, original number 63 was related to um, is very high on my list. And I watched that again, too, and it deserves to be because it's fucking fantastic. Wait, is, is the other, is another one of those on your list? Yeah. Okay. I guess that makes more sense. We'll talk about what your original yeah. 63 was then. Um, yeah, yeah, Oh, I'm not going to, like, not. Oh, there it is. Say, yeah, exactly. Um, my original 63 was going to be Richard Linklater's Before Sunrise. 1995 movie. Um, it was the first, what, what would become a trilogy of Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy in Europe talking about stuff. Um, I, I really like the fact that um, Midnight in Paris was the conclusion to that trilogy. Yeah. It went, I thought switching it over to it went, Wilson was interesting. It but. was good to go back, you know, the, the time, time yeah. travel thing it was, was, it was, was what those three movies were always missing. And just so. getting rid of the entire cast of, of the before. The two well, before I think that's movies. what the next, if they make a fifth one, if we're calling before. Just like a, yeah, a yeah. shared universe. Yep, exactly. We then get Godzilla in there. <laughs> it all crosses over. Um, I watched these movies, these three movies, all in a row with my wife. Last oh year, before we made the movie, not in one night, like it was in consecutive oh, nights. Okay, you made me. You said all. If you say all in a row, I automatically assume all in a row. No, I've, I've watched. I've all, watched. I've watched all four screams. No, sorry, it's three at the time. Three screams all in a row. It sucks. I, it was a I bad weekend. It. I enjoyed it. <laughs> it's like four hours. Um, like six. I thought this. I for some reason, right when I watched it, I said. I, I was kind of fully engrossed in in what the experience of these movies was supposed to be. I could have also had something to do with the fact that I had um, I was catching up on my WTFs and I listened to the Ethan Hawke WTF and and um, I was all Ethan I was all Ethan Hawke and ready to go. Um, what? Just reading just reading the Wikipedia for your your actual sixty three and oh, okay. I'll mention here in a second. Um. So I watched it again this week, and it didn't it didn't do it for me. I found it instead of finding it captivating or enlightening or anything, I just found it really annoying. And I found Ethan Hawke's character, his Jesse, to be kind of gross and and manipulative. Um, wherein last year when I watched it, I found him to be kind of profound. Um, and I kind of didn't understand what was, like, what the hell was going on? You know what I mean? Like, how did this happen? Where last year this was really great, and, like, this year it is not so great. Well, I, I think I had something similar. I had nostalgia bias. Right. Right, with usual suspects. But I just kind of, like, I had to stick in here because it was nostalgia. Because it was something that, like, made an impact. So that's the thing. So this is, I mean... Sorry, cliffhanger, new frame draw to a rabbit. This was a, um... A movie. Cliffhanger is actually right there. I, get, I keep thinking about Cliffhanger. It was a Cliffhanger. Um, maybe you'll encounter a movie that also makes you sad, and you'll put the, that one that's just kind of hovering over anyone that's just kind of... Oh, my turn? My turn? No, me? No, me now? Um, Wait, it's, it's hanging? It's hanging, yeah. From a line. He's in, From a in sport shorts, yeah. and he's just reaching around to get something. Um, oh, God. Love you, Rennie Harlan. I think the other thing that kind of threw me off with this movie is... The idea that when I was making my list, I was very conscious of movies, 
the reasons why I was putting movies on here and movies that fit really well together from a theme standpoint or what I appreciated or got out of them standpoint. And I think this movie and Jesus' Son work really well together in the sense that they're both... The, a, the, Before Sunrise oh, and Jesus' okay. Son work really well together. I thought you were actual 63. No, no, no. And I was like, they do not. Before... In the sense that they both are about 20-year-olds who are just kind of like drifting along in life and, and trying to figure some shit out and want to see some amazing things and blah, 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 blah. But weirdly, I, I, I really identify with FH and I don't identify with Jesse at all. At all. Um, where I think FH is... Jesse seems really entitled. He, sees him, he seems entitled to his mystical good times you know what i mean he seems entitled to have these experiences with celine on the train he seems like he deserves somehow because of his age and because of you know who he is to have this experience with her you know what i mean Mm. he's actually traveling around europe and he's having a bad time because this isn't happening to him you know what i mean whereas to compare it to her she is like the level-headed mystic of the bunch where she can kind of appreciate all of these all of these little things. He can't see the little things. All he can see is her face and we should definitely have sex on this grass here. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think part of it is that and and just to go back to Jesus' son, FH is just fucking happy to be alive. Every day that he's alive is just like, "Oh my god. <laughs> I did it." Okay, and anything that happens in the span of that day is a fucking miracle. You know what I mean? And so, I think I was just, when I was making my list, I just was, I was really going into this. Like, I want, I just thought that all of my movies had to have some kind of, past a certain point, had had to have some kind of aspect of existential awakening to them. You know what I mean? And I forgot about the movies that just were like, you know, we always say made me happy. It's like the theme of this fucking thing, but that were just always there. You know what I mean? And are always good. And maybe don't teach you anything about like the nature of your existence. But teach you about Ohio. But teach you about Ohio. And, but actually not as much about Ohio as you would think. I have a very confused picture of Ohio based on this movie. Oh, wait, that's what that town um, well, I just looked up the town that I'm thinking of, but I know that town's in Ohio. I'm sure there's lots of towns in Ohio. Um, and so when I was, I was watching this movie and I was like, it's not doing it for me. What is this movie missing? And the thing that Jesus' son had was joy. And the thing that Before Sunrise doesn't have any of is a joy, is a joy for life. And I was like, what movies to me speak to that idea? Like a joy for just living you know what i mean and for being around other people and for just like the experience of of watching a movie uh, and i'm excited I got for to it grave of the fireflies <laughs> no, that would be awesome though if i was like and it's the killing fields i just like I mississippi burning <laughs> um no but in reality birth my- of a nation <laughs> Why would you do that to me? <laughs> we were having a good time until you threw Proclamation in there. It's 12 years a slave. No, it's not, it's not either of those. It's, we're ready. I think we're ready now. Um, my number 63 is the 1995 buddy comedy starring Chris Farley and David Spade. Tommy Boy. You know, a lot of people go to college for seven years. I know. They're called doctors. This always has been, always will be a family firm. 
Is there something on my face? <laughs> it hurts right here. Not here so much or here, but right here. And there being just a big, huge fucking bruise. <laughs> and then right after that, and that's the thing, and I could do this forever. Right after that, Chris Farley ripping apart a roll <laughs> to demonstrate how he's fucked his life up. Um, that's awesome. And that's what it's one of the things that I think a lot of movies. And you had said you texted me the other day, and you're like, "Well, there's no comedy, so we should probably go see Longshot." And there just really aren't any more comedies anymore. These movies don't exist anymore. No one's making Tommy Boy. Yeah, the the, the last ones were really just what like Step Brothers, those styles of movies that were last. Like I guess like the Twenty One Jump Street, Twenty Two Jump or Street, or like the, the anchor, ones. the Anchorman stuff. No, I, I meant most recently, like mm-hmm. the ones that kind of like sparked cultural interest in a high level were kind of like the 21 Jump Streets that I think kind of maybe... Did that could... spark cultural interest? Yeah, but they were, they were huge box office successes. Were they? Yeah. Where was I? They're good. I like them. They're, they're good. You are a big Channing Tatum fan. I am. <laughs> I wouldn't deny that. I feel like you just had your mouth open like you were going to say something. No, That's I was, literally why I, I, I was, was waiting for you. I was waiting for you to keep talking. No, I mean, I just don't have anything... Um, that's it. Like I, 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 there's actually a better comparison for me between the scene I just described and everything that happens after that, um, and FH and Jesus' son. You know, seeing that what he perceives to be a cemetery and that like movie screen angel talking to him, and um, then there is anything that happens in Before Sunrise, and I think one of the things. I think this is a place where I have if this if I'm staying true to the nature of what the list is and what this podcast is, I have to be able to admit like when I put this on my list I was feeling my pretentiousness like 100%. And then I recognized it in watching these three movies in these kind of consecutive weeks and being like this doesn't work. This doesn't work for me anymore. Yeah. Like it's attached to something that works really well for me and I felt like I needed to put it there, but this isn't this isn't my movie. Tommy Boy is, like you said, Cliffhanger. Um, Nightcrawler, I feel like, is one of those movies for you that you're always just kind of like, well, that could have that could have been. Well, Nightcrawler is legitimately that could have been movie. That could have been. Here. Also, Cliffhanger is legitimately pretty good. But like action. Tommy Boy is actually the one They're, movie that was kind they of like are hovering. remaking Cliffhanger with a with a, a women like a woman leading cast, which is gonna be interesting. Melissa McCarthy. No, no, yeah. It's just the cast of Ghostbusters, but Cliffhanger. No, but it's a French a French director is doing it. Yeah. Uh, Cliffhanger is a good movie. You know what we're going to have to do? Actually, the next bonus episode we do should just be Cliffhanger. Or just really good early 90s action. <laughs> it should be, because we have to talk about that later anyway. Because Demolition Man's right there. Yeah. Ricochet. Uh, Ricochet might be late 90s, late 80s. So my opinion of Tommy Boy is carried well with a discussion of one of those movies we talked about, the, the making us smile and making us laugh discussion mm-hmm. of Naked Gun. Naked Gun is especially apt um, because the directorial debut of Peter Sagal was Naked Gun 33 and a third, The Final Insult. A movie that has a, oh boy, what was I? I would have been like, I saw this in theaters, 94. I saw it opening day. I was seven years old um, when I saw it. Laughed my ass off, loved it. Uh, saw Tommy Boy numerous times, um, to the point where I started finding it not funny because my dad absolutely adores Tommy Boy. Um, my fellow Americans, was that, was oh, Peter yeah, Sagal's next Americans. movie, love that movie. Do you really? Loved it when I was a kid. I came back to these movies when I was older, 
um, Naked Gun when I was like in my mid twenties, thirty three and a third, and I hated it. Um, my fellow Americans came back to it and found it pretty blasé. Mm-hmm. I would say like just just fine. Mm-hmm. It's a fairly forgettable movie. Well, there's actually a good connection between uh, Tommy Boy and My Fellow Americans. It's coming back to both of those movies. Um, Dan Aykroyd was the one part that made me go like, "Oh, yeah, I really love, I really love what Dan Aykroyd's doing here." Um, Not phoning it in. Yeah, Dan Aykroyd and, and actually uh, John Hurd, especially in My Fellow Americans. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite jokes still in a movie is. You all thought it's uh, paraphrasing the line from the, the, my fellow Americans. You all thought I was an idiot, but little did you know it was all just a big facade. <laughs> Instead of saying facade, still one of my favorite. No, he said facade. Facade would have been the right term. Oh boy, I'd I'd keep that in. Okay. I really fucked that one up. Um, it was all just a big facade when he meant to say facade. Well, it's funny is I, after that movie, I kept saying the wrong one. And that was like a new word in my lexicon. I just kept saying the wrong one. Um, and I'm still doing it today. <laughs> so My Fellow Americans is, has done that to me. Uh, Should be on the list. But I rewatched Tommy Boy in my mid-20s, uh, early 20s, actually. I was hungover after a long college party night. And I hated it. And I came back and rewatched it. Because it was too it. close to home? No, I just came back and then rewatched it this week and I still hate it. That The humor doesn't work for me anymore and I don't know why. Mm-hmm. It's just, it feels like an SNL sketch that goes on for too long to me. And uh, I, I think it's kind of, I think that's right because it's very episodic in the sense that like now this joke happens and now this joke happens and now this joke happens. But I think for some reason it just it hits all those buttons still. And I think for me the problem is there, there's there's not... A sort of absurdity to the humor that in, in the sense of um, I go back to the, to the one joke Naked Gun has a lot of those kind of like really lowbrow jokes in it uh, but but the one kind of one that's kind of like a little bit of nice absurdity um, besides like a lot of visual gags is the one discussion between Frank Drebin and the mayor where, where they're discussing, you know, the, the murder in the park of Julius Caesar. Mm-hmm. It's a lowbrow joke, but there's like a, I don't know, not, not pretension, well, but, a, but there's an interesting... There's an elevation to that. Elevation going on. And, and Tommy Boy kind of stays at this narrative tone of just kind of like flat. Not, not I want to say flatness, but it just kind of remains in a certain gear. Well, you just have to, you have to be a super fan, and I guess your dad is, I am like to the nth degree of Chris Farley just losing his fucking mind. And that's that my camera. thing. Even as a kid and now, the only th- connection I had to this movie and Black Sheep was I loved David Spade. Okay, so yeah. I hated, and I still hate, I think Chris Farley, I'm going to say it, I think Chris Farley's one of the worst comedians no. that reach, that I, I, don't, I don't find him funny. I can't disagree with you, but I also think you're wrong. You know what I, I mean? Is that possible? But, you could disagree, but I just... I don't was, find his body humor funny. I, I think that Jim Carrey was doing more. Oh, see, the other thing, and I, impressive things I like time. Chris Farley the comedian more than I like Jim Carrey the comedian. I found the Ace Ventura movies really grating after like the first couple of, of viewings, but, and I could watch Chris Farley fall down that mountain in Black Sheep like all day. 
But see, my, my thing with Chris, the Chris Farley jokes was like it was kind of pathetic, like to me. It, it came off as, as sad and pathetic and like. Well, yeah. And like punching. It was really heavily punching down at the time, I guess. Even so. I don't necessarily say punching down, but it just. It, it was all based around the note of like, look at this fat guy do fat guy things. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes, like, it, some of those gags work. Um, like, the, the, the fat guy in a low coat thing is funny still. Um, and some of the other moments of of uh like like the the car crash thing is is funny that's like legitimately funny scene then like he goes so heavily into this this this, this matt foley sort of caricature sort of thing um of like like that 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 role scene is just i hate that scene oh i love it so much i just love that woman's reaction to him and i just i everything for him was turned up to 11 yeah constantly there was never like pullback and even in the scenes where he's kind of like trying to carry some well he can't i mean carry something not want to say emotional he, gravity but trying to like scenes where he can't be the focus of the comedy he can't help but like have this like jerky exaggerated body motion and like compare him to something like like john candy you know like john candy who's doing a lot of the kind of similar kind of jokes at times but of they like weren't really, I mean, but john candy wasn't a but john physical Can- comedian no john candy was a delivery comedian he was i mean he was a f- facial but a facial guy too and he and he but it was it was in an it was like an attitude chris farley's attitude was like i can literally explode at any minute and that's that's my problem like i i hate 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 with an undying passion john belushi's comedy I oh i don't like i'm not a big belushi guy either and, but belushi had that same like explosiveness to him and it, like it leads into chris farley and it kind of leads into some of these other comedians who have, who have kind well, of so taken from that like not not just the fat comedians but like something like even like a bill burr kind of reminds me mm. or like well, a, a joe a... rogan like their comedy styles are like i can explode at any time with like yelling and like yeah it's just like oh my god this, this it, it doesn't feel like there's any sort of interesting substance beneath the surface. And this is the thing, there. I don't think I think Belushi was I don't like Belushi. You know, Animal House is not showing up anywhere on any of our lists, neither is the Blues Brothers or whatever. Um I'm not a big Belushi guy because Belushi to me was just yelling. Um and gross out humor. Yeah. yeah. Whereas Farley to me seemed like he was playing up his anachronism in every situation. Oh yeah. And was just kind of and was just kind of uh, every scene was like a demonstration of me him being himself, whether whoever that character was, which is always inevitably just Chris Farley, and it just kind of didn't. It was like a you know a square peg in a round hole type situation, I, I think- which always to me was was funny because he always tried to be like w- as with it as he could, but he just wasn't that guy. And that's that's maybe the problem. Like I think Black Sheep in a, is maybe a little more successful at doing what I I thought could have come from Chris Farley. And, like, looking at, like, people talk about Chris Farley. Like, you're still, you know, Adam Sandler still he doing just fucking thing, music yeah. things for his guy. He, he came off kind of like an amicable kind of guy. Like, he, at least people liked his company. They loved him, Like, yeah. John Belushi kind of has, like, some things where it's like, oh. But, like, so a lot of those characters kind of have, like, this puppy dog-ness quality to them mm-hmm. to a certain degree. Um. But they're just such like huge explosive personalities, and then Tommy Boy is a constant fuck up. And there's never kind of like really redemptive moments for him there. And I think he works really well in small doses. Like I like his really small stuff in like Billy Madison when he's just in the car, <laughs> you know, uh, driving the bus. He's <laughs> great there. But like like seeing this extended and not seeing any sort of 
arc. No, I don't want to say arc. That's that's the wrong term to use with Chris. For Tommy Farley. Boy, yeah. Um, just like Chris Farley in general. Just just to see like this. They are presenting this this man who who ultimately people really enjoy the company of, who people really root get behind and root for, who's earnest. Yeah, he's presented as earnest, but still beyond that, he's such a fucking putz, you know. Ultimately, in this movie, that there's the kind of guy who's like, I feel he bad. He saves the I, factory, Mario. He saves a town. Dan Aykroyd saves the factory, and Bo Derek apparently. <laughs> but but it's just like it's the guy you're like yeah he's a good guy but I don't want to have I don't want to be around this guy I don't want to spend time with him I mean that's the problem with it it's just like there's not this like thing where he feels like a a person that you ever really want to root for because there's nothing that redeems him here's the thing I never which is it's I a think weird it's really, meta narrative it's of, interesting of Tommy boy but yeah. you know, <laughs> This, this this podcast is a fool. Oh, we, we assigning got, weird meta narratives. So. I got a, I got a few vocal complaints about our Avengers Endgame review about how what we need to not add meta narratives to reviews. To what? Well, just like our analysis of stuff. Just what like, did we say? Oh, no, nothing wrong. It was just like re-examined Avengers Endgame as a film and not has the experience. But that's what it is. It is a fucking film. It's not. It's not like a masturbatory but, fucking like jerk off session for people that but, spent twenty two movies just being like think, this is all awesome because guess what it fucking isn't all awesome. But I think most could, of it sucks ass. But I could understand that for some people that they, like the amount of people that love it, obviously for them it's a good thing. I'm like obviously all of everything we're saying is always under the volume of. To us, it's it's not good. And if you're going into a film expecting a film or expecting it doing something for you, it's not going to do that. But that's, I mean, but unless you really are invested, like if you really love the comedy of Chris Farley, you're really going to love Tommy Boy. If you really love the shit that was going on at the MCU, you're really going to love that. Movie. Yeah, but you know what? The, like the difference I think is that I'm not going to go. If someone was like, "Oh, is Tommy Boy a good movie?" I would say, "No, it's a stupid movie." But it makes me fucking laugh. I'm coming out of, we're coming out of, and people are coming out to me about Avengers, and they'll be like, well, it's great. I'm like, well, it's not great. It might have made you happy that it, like, justified all the time you have wasted in your life, but it's not great. You know what I mean? No, I say wasted, but if it makes them happy, so be it, but... Yeah, we 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 no, would we'll stand be, we would stand on the the hill that they're not. That's not. I mean, a great here's something that pisses me off, and we, we we're gonna end this conversation right now. Um, the, apparently, the Russo brothers, the motherfucking Russo brothers, are now going around doing interviews where they're kind of like dropping Easter egg hints on like things you might have missed the first time, so people will go see it again and pick up all the fucking Easter eggs. And they have this <laughs> new this new homecoming or Far From Home trailer is fucking bullshit. Because it's just more Avengers Endgame. What the hell are we doing? What are we doing? And Jake Gyllenhaal. But apparently he's an alien. An interdimensional creature. So Nick Fury's going to be like, well, I don't know. If when he turns out not to be an alien, he's like, I just was tricked. <laughs> I was me. super. I've been doing this for. I've been doing this since the mid '90s, and yeah. I was tricked. Nick Nick Fury's been dead for five years though. So give him that. Oh my god! But but no, so so like the, going back just to the Tommy Boy thing, it's just I I didn't the the very little it asked of me I couldn't buy, and because I just don't know why, and, and so in that sense, all the the physical comedy 
doesn't doesn't work. And the kind of small moments that work are like the moments where you see, you know, Tommy Callahan being being smart, or are, are, are the playoffs between David Spade and and Tommy, like like those those ones that are just based around like a fat idiot. They're they're based more around. Yeah, there was a weird hair that just kind of flew by your head. That was well, I felt I thought it felt like your building shaking. No, well, it could be the reverberations ver- of your hand slam. I fucking had it with this endgame shit. <laughs> um, it's enough. Well, now we're gonna talk about Pikachu afterwards. Uh, but um, but yeah, I, I don't know if it's a we- it's a weird opinion to have, but it's it's the I, I call it the I'm gonna call it the Peter Sagal uh, <laughs> Dominion or, or, or doctrine. Um, in that I like a lot of these movies early on. And I came back and didn't like him. I, I, to be fair, I disliked anger management from the first moment. And, oh, anger management well, is terrible. Outside of the 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 Heather Heather Graham in, in the Boston Red Sox get up. I'm not a Boston Red Sox fan, but I was I was I'm, a big I was a big Heather Graham guy at fifteen or sixteen. Yeah, even even then. I think I, I rewatched Get Smart, and I still like Get Smart. Get Smart's alright. I think it's, it's alright. Yeah, Get Smart is is good because it's classic. Um, Steve Carell, before he got, like, too big for his britches, to use, like, a 1950s term, where he thought he, like, had to be, like, an actor. He's like, no, we just want you to be an idiot. He can do both. You just be an idiot. He can also just be both. No, I don't think he can. Foxcatcher was okay, and Beautiful Boy, clearly, he was over his head. Yeah. So without a prosthetic nose, apparently, he's just no good. But he was... Oh, what the hell was that movie? Well, he was... Evan Almighty? No, no, he was... Passable and decent in, in um, Little Miss Sunshine. Um, yeah, I guess because he's playing, like, a dickhead version of, like, the role that he always played. Like, his Daily Show correspondent thing. Just kind of that kind of haughty, I, think, I know better than you I attitude. Think, I think he could do, like, the Sandler variation of drama in the sense of, like, playing off of what he already knew. I don't think he's a bad actor. I just don't think that when he's really got to go in and get something, I don't think he can I don't think he can get to that spot. You know what I mean? Um, he's not a Bill Hader. He's, no, he's not. He's not a, well, that's the thing. I don't even like that show, but I can... Bill Hader is great in it. I've, you know, I haven't seen very much of it, but everything I've seen is just like, you know, you watch it and you're just like, oh, my God. Like, he... You, I don't know what's going on down there, but something's going on. Well, the thing that's great about Bill Hader is he doesn't really want to be an actor. He like wants to mostly be a director. He just wants to make yeah. He wants to get famous like enough Bill, doing this other stuff so he can stop. It's like acting. Bill Hader. I'm sorry, man. You might be stuck. It's dark. It's really dark <laughs> under there. Um, <sighs> something that Avengers Endgame isn't. There's no darkness. But something that. Game of Thrones episode three apparently was this season. I don't know. I just wanted to drop that just to make you more angry. I wanted to see if you were going to explode again, but you didn't. No. But no, Tommy Boy, I can I can see it. I you know I'm not going to explode. I'm going to interrupt you. No, I'm not going to explode because a lot of people are criticizing. Um, well, everyone hates Game of, Game of Thrones. Thrones nobody, nobody is criticizing Avengers Endgame. Uh, New Yorker. Well, yeah, me and the New, me and the New Yorker. I criticized it too. I just. I think they're allowed. You're them. willing. That's the thing. You're willing to have the conversation that I'm not willing to have. The that the the this is not a movie conversation, and I'm saying that I went to see it at a movie theater. It is a movie. It should be better than it is. You could see E3 at the movies, man. You could see WrestleMania at the movies. I could go see Red Joan at the movies too, but it's I'm not Red gonna. Joan. That Judy Dench movie where like she was. 
a communist supporter like as a teenager or in her 20s and now in her like 70s the government's like you gave up secrets oh we're I mad th- at you i was hoping it was going to be judy dent as a teenager that'd be pretty awesome <laughs> it's it's we pen, would definitely have to watch it's movie. just the second season of pen 15 of pen 15 did you watch that hulu series no with uh maya erskine and anna conkle where they're like they're 30-year-olds, but they play 7th graders, and everyone around them is a 7th grader. Um, and Judy Dench is just their new friend, who is also a 7th grader. <laughs> That'd be good. And she was having menstruation problems and discovering masturbation for the first time. I, yeah, that'd it's, be good. We're getting a strongly worded letter from Judy Dench's attorney. <laughs> you can't say that about Dame. <laughs> uh, you have anything else to say about, about the Tommy boys? I have many things to say about Avengers, but no, I'm out of things to say about Tommy Boys. All right. Well, well I'm excited for that when I put Avengers at my like number one at the end of the year. I just stare at you. I turn off my mic, actually leave. Blood just comes out of my eye. Mads Mikkelsen fashion. I, actually, <laughs> I put out a life insurance policy on you because that is the moment that's going to like... I don't think you're allowed to do that. I don't think you could take out a love insurance policy on Oh, no, me. we secretly got married. You were really drunk one day. <laughs> All well, right. We'll move. be right back with my number 63. I'm a big fan of horror movies. You may know that, audience. If you don't know that, I'm confused. Not really confused. Actually, yeah, I'd be confused. But I like subversion of horror especially when a horror director who I've been following for a while does something interesting and new in the genre. Around episode... Well, was this episode zero or was this our A block on movies that barely missed our list? Uh, when I talked about your... No, it was movies that zero. barely missed the list. No, your next wasn't... It was movies that barely missed the list. <clears throat> oh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was Adam Wingard's Your Next, a subversion of the home invasion angle where a group of ne'er do wells invade a rich family's house and that's the the (laughs) term that popped in my head and are systematically torn apart after committing some murders by a survivalist final girl uh this led me to adam wingard's uh First, I don't want to say major feature, but first feature that had some sort of production value to it, A Horrible Way to Die, mm-hmm. um, which is a film about a A.J. Bowen, once again, from your next. He's an escaped serial killer. He's chasing after his ex-girlfriend, who's recently um, met up with uh, this this person, this, this guy, Joe Swanberg. It's, it's Amy uh, Samitz and Joe Swanberg, again, mm-hmm. from your next. Um are meeting an alcoholic anonymous they have a relationship and there's a big subversion twist there at the end where it turns out just Wamberg is just a member of like a cult that is kind of worshipping at the the AJ Bowen the Garrick Turtles uh, you know feet kind of it's interesting I almost think it's like a, a little bit of a, a, a I think whoever made the fault Kevin Williamson like like saw this movie and was like I'm gonna make that that Kevin Bacon garbage show the following. Do you see do you remember that show? The following? Yeah, who is Kevin Bacon? Who else is in that? Kevin Bacon. Someone else. Oh, the guy that the guy that played the ice guy? Iceman from uh Oh yeah, yeah, X-Men. yeah. What's his name? I don't fucking know. Yeah, I remember that I remember that show. But so this new crew of 
horror guys, you know, the him, Ty West, who's a better director, uh, you know, doing doing a lot of good work with the Innkeepers and House of the Devil and, you know, Adam Wingard. They were the new kind of splatter pack as the mid-2000s directors of Eli Roth, Alexander Asia, and um, Neil Marshall were kind of known as. And so I was very excited for his next project, Adam Wingard's, that is. A, what seemed to be action thriller uh, subversion. But what turns out to be, in the end, to me, just a slasher movie told in the eyes of an action film. It is the film 2014, The Guest. Can I help you? Mrs. Peterson? Yes? My name is David. Mrs. Peterson, I, uh, I knew your son, Caleb. I was with him when he died. That's me. You know Caleb? Yes, ma'am. We're pretty close. Yes, ma'am. He wanted me to tell you that he loved you. Thanks. He asked me to check on y'all. And so, we're going to be good friends. The Guest is the story of David, a um, claim to be compatriot of uh, the deceased brother of the Peterson family. He was, right? He was, yeah. yeah. He's, but how much of a compatriot he was is, is up to question. Who um, meets up with the Peterson family, claiming to have you know, known them and wanted to you know, get into their lives, especially um, with the, the two children, Anna and Luke, mm-hmm. played by uh, Brendan Mayer, Brendan Meyer, and... Um, Mika Monroe, who we'll talk about again a long longer later in this podcast. Mm-hmm. Guys, we're talking about it follows if you haven't caught on to that one. Why are you telling them? <laughs> it's part of the contest. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they don't know what it is. They, the contest is what do they have to guess? It's the the top ten? I don't know. Right. I feel like it's a fluid contest. I mean, one thing I see it's like it could either be it follows Greta. Our Independence Day resurgence. How the people that we just I just blasted about Avengers Endgame were not like keeping score. Like I'm excited for the contest. <laughs> well, now they're not going to win. Now they're just crying. Um, David uh, integrates himself with the Peterson family, uh, solving their problems in his own unique way, mm-hmm. which tends to focus in hyper violence and intimidation. Um. Slowly you realize David was a part of a underground military project that kind of turned him into a psychologically blank super soldier. Um, he is hunted down by the military. The good old Lance Reddick from of Lost Fame leading the charge. And in his attempt to clear the path and to clear his name, David goes on a 30-minute killing spree kind of synonymous with the last 30 to 40 minutes of Halloween, another movie that might be on my list, but probably not, not on my list at all. And um, it leads to to a bit of a slasher, told as an action film. Um, well, yeah, but, but no, following, no following all of the absolute 
trademarks and hallmarks of a slasher movie, but done as an action film. Mm. Um, until the final confrontation between the final girl and final boy, leading to the ultimate death of the horror villain David. Until the subversion at the end, where David survives, and Anna, like a Monroe's character, sees it and proclaims, what the fuck? This movie's on my list because I like a good... I'd like a good subversion. I enjoy a good take of a genre I really love and doing something new with it. And I really love it when you take a genre I love, the, my favorite genre, the, the slasher genre, uh-huh. um, and mash it with another genre I love. The Dan Stevens the, genre? Well, <laughs> the action film genre. And and this movie was, was, a, was a perfect blend from a writing standpoint. I absolutely think... Adam Wingard's an okay director. And we'll have that conversation in a few minutes. Um, he's visually not that interesting. No. He, he, he misses a lot of interesting marks um, that are written into his scripts for him. And I think, but I think Simon Barrett's a really solid genre writer. Uh, uh, yeah. I think, you know, you're next in a million ways to die. The things they do... Um, And just to, just the stuff he does with VHS and VHS two, or and I never actually saw Blair Witch, but they they are doing things that that show a knowledge of the genre. It's, he's maybe not the best writer, but the guy knows his shit. And it's Blair it's Witch really, two. He uh, Blair the Blair Witch Adam Wingard movie, the twenty sixteen Blair Witch. Oh, okay. Um, but it really shows when you see Death Note by Adam Wingard. Which does not at all involve Simon Barrett, and you kind of see where you realize there's not really a visual style to Adam Wingard, and that all of the interesting takes on the genre, um, from a writing standpoint, are gone because Simon Barrett isn't there mm-hmm. anymore. Well, which is odd because Death he's got he's got um, a previous like work to work off of. He just kind of has to emulate. Yeah, and I can't I can't remember that. who who actually I don't that I don't. Know who actually wrote that? Death Note was written by just a group of people. I mean, it's a it's a it's a graphic novel, isn't it? Yeah, it's a manga. It starts out as a manga, um, eventually made into an anime, uh, and then just various other genre. I think it's it's like very similar to Battle Royale, and that's made into several different. Well, I think I read an article once about the idea that like Death Note is like a very hot property that's been sold like a million times and a million people own the rights to do some kind of version of Death Note whenever they want to get it, you know, get the chance to do it. I thought, honestly, Death Note has a lot of promise in the sense of Death Note has a Final Destination style horror movie for American audiences is interesting. With an, yeah, well, and especially because it's got like an awesome character um, in the American version played by Willem Dafoe. Yeah. Um, that, uh, yeah, that entire um, Ryuk, Ryuk character, mm-hmm. you know, like, that's interesting. But also the fact that, like, early on in Death Note, the first, like, I think 30 minutes of Death Note are kind of fun in that they're, like, a fun... Ha- like, the Final it's Destination... It's supposed to be fun. Yeah, and the Final Destination, like, movies for as garbage as they are, if you like Rube Goldberg contraptions of death and, and you really dig, like, the goofy, nonsensical gore... Mm-hmm. Um, 
coupled with my previous conversations on studio clothes make me seem crazy. <laughs> uh, you know, like that's interesting to watch. And it's fun as like a schlocky sort of popcorn thing. But then the next like hour and that 10 minutes of Lakeith Stanfield kind of phoning it in, but still doing much better work with Nate Wolf, who can't really act his way out of the bag. Mm-hmm. And that becoming like a drama and leading into this like weird combination with his girlfriend. Like, then you're just like, I don't fucking care. And I don't want to watch this. Right. I just want to watch, like, people that pissed off light get killed in fun ways. Well, actually, and that's an, an interesting point that you can make about this movie, too, is that once it gets to a certain point, <clears throat> I mean, I think this movie is successful when it's not doing very much. And then when it has to do things like be in a, a, a military branch like conference room or like the the siege on the house yeah something something it's just kind of like well this is just really point and click kind of shoot by numbers action movie sequencing here well i think i think like the exposition dumps are are dull in this and i think especially the the siege in the house is is boring because it's not shot well it's not shot interestingly there's there's not there's a really confusing frame of a reference to to where everything's well, and he's, bodied, and because he's it's a lot of close ups. That hallway is way too. He crawls through that hallway forever. Yeah, but like contrast that with um, that diner scene, which once once again, like we've talked about previously, you know, unfortunately the grenades kind of leave frame, which isn't fun. Like they don't you don't need the cut to the grenades rolling. Get a long shot there, have Dan Stevens roll the grenades and have the grenades come in close on the. That's that was a much better shot, but the in the way that Barrett kind of writes those scenes, or writes kind of like just like his like forget it, you know, or never mind, and then shoots, shoots Kristen um, and, and Dan Stevens. Uh, it's Dan just, Stevens is I mean so much fun in this movie, and and I see this like, like I'm not going to be one of those ones like well no I am going to be I'm going fuck it I'm going to be one of those people who who automatically throws the hat into the who should be the next James Bond conversation. Uh-huh. If Layer Cake, a movie that's pretty good, I rewatched it on Friday. All those English gangster movies are all kind of doing the same thing, but they're all fun to watch. But if that could be Daniel Craig's, like, opus to getting him the James Bond thing, I think this is a great opus to, like, getting Dan Stevens that role. Because, like, there's, like, this, like, cold callousness to it, but, like, having fun with it mm. that and, and um, like Dan Stevens is just so fun to watch in this movie. Yeah. Dan, I mean, uh, as coming from someone who spent a lot of time, not on purpose watching Downton Abbey, but then eventually just kind of falling into the rhythms of the show and kind of looking, you're going to be doing a mini on that. I believe in September. I right? will be. Yeah. Um, I will not be a part of that conversation because I don't know what's going on in that show. It's fine. And I, I know they killed off. I'm Dan gonna be Stevens. With you, I don't know what's really going on in that show either, but I've seen all the episodes are most of the episodes I'm gonna go see the movie Maggie Smith's gonna be in it I assume she's still alive she's already filmed it and she's still around so yeah no but she no she's still alive in the show yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. I mean maybe she dies in the movie I don't know she might play Professor McGonagall that'd be cool um yeah that'd be cool I think she always plays Professor McGonagall (laughs) she starts every every scene with a witch's hat and they're just like can you please take it off (laughs) Like it doesn't work in real life. Um, and so, like a, a, a key grip just falls over dead, and everyone just starts screaming. Yeah, yeah, that'd be if a, that entire movie is just Maggie Smith realizing magic, and then she turns into a cat and runs away. Yeah. <laughs> that would be good if it was a Harry Potter prequel. If it was if it was like the next Fantastic Beast movie. That'd be excellent, especially if they get brought back Colin Farrell. 
yeah, you got rid of John. That'd be Dead. good. Um, Dan Stevens, is, is, it was really fun, and I think he. One of the things that I think this, why Adam Wingard sucks, is because there's a missed opportunity here to really dig into the idea that like this person might have actually been a person, um, and to not just like stage it like. I'm just going to have him beat the shit out of a bunch of people for like an hour and 15 minutes. What do you mean by and having him be a person? Because he was in the military. He didn't know this guy. There's really no suggestion that he didn't. You know what I mean? Like, I guess we can argue like how well he knew anybody. There's literally no reason for Dan Stevens to be at that house unless he actually told this guy that once he got out, he would like check on them. Okay. So here's my interesting uh, theory on that. And this is... This is similar to the end game. Like this is the this is similar to the end game jumps in logic. The David Collins was a person at one point, is now kind of this blank slate, telling it from the theme of he is a slasher villain. But wh- so he's a blank slate. Let me just finish on my, my theory. He's a blank slate, right? Often, slasher villains will have this kind of like hallmark little nugget in the back of their head that leads them back if, if they're not like very cognizant Freddy Krueger types. No, so your Jason Voorhees are, mm, to your question, like Michael Myers or uh, your Vincent Crawley's from Hatchet. Um, they have this thing that brings them back to somewhere because there's some little click in the back of the head. So this guy's, I take this as he's a blank slate. There's this little click in the back of the head that, that the old of him, the, the, the one that isn't this automaton, like, had this mission to get back to tell, you know, the, this Peterson family this. And this is, like, his automaton thing. Mm-hmm. He's led to this point. That's how I interpreted it. Coming from it, has it is a slasher film. Yeah. And a slasher film. Again, and we're going to... Uh, There's going to be a divide there here, because you just I mean, don't care this about is that. Really, this is really the same conversation we literally just had about Endgame. Yeah. I'm... I very rare... The movies I watch... That I'm not asking them to do anything are like the Tommy Boys and the Step Brothers and those types of movies. You know what I mean? These the are the movies, movies you're yeah. asking to not do anything but just satisfy a very strict, rigid set of rules that like are or interior boxes that you just kind of want checked off. And every time they get checked off, you're like, mm, that's pretty good. Is this movie? Is this type of movie? So. It makes no sense trying to debate the logic of like. How oh no, works. absolutely. Uh, my point is that Adam Wingard is terrible, and so he just left a bunch of. There's a bunch of stuff on the table here, where he, if he wanted to, he could have made this an action slasher, and a pretty good movie, like simultaneously. You know what I mean? By just tweaking a couple things here or there, but he just didn't. Because, I mean, and there's oh, there's a million things. There's, like, the kind of schizophrenic um, color palette. Like, the weird... The fact that he shoots, like... He has, like, seven, several different shots yeah, the going on, like, the all the time. The color bad. Like, the frame of reference. Like, it gets too bright. At, it's too bright. It's too bright and then it's too with, like, dark. Neo-neon sort of thing. I mean, the sound design is pretty bad. Like, there's a lot of times where dialogue is drowned out by nothing. Like in and, the in the openings in the opening you know clip that I played, you almost can't hear what Dan Stevens is saying because of him putting a gun down on a blanket. And there's a couple of parts with the gunshots kind of like register too high. Well, in the, and so it kind of like creates like that scratching noise. He almost with the soundtrack, he almost tries to create this kind of like 
pseudo drive feeling with this kind of like you know dance I, pop techno whatever. I like I like the synth wave. No, no, the score, synth wave but... is fine, but I'm saying like it's all the time. And yeah. so we have a synth wave song at the party that he's at um, with Anna and like where he has sex with Kristen. Um, that's her name, right? Kristen. Kristen, yes. And then they get into the car and she puts on more synth wave. And then he's like, oh, I like this song, blah, blah, And then she gets home and then she just, there's more synthwave. There's like three synthwave songs in a row. It's like, just, just give it a, give yeah, it a second. No, no, just give it a second with the Especially synthwave. like using, I think they used Antonio during, during that drive. But like using Antonio, uh, the, the Berlin remix. Um, it's just, I know that song because I fucking love that song. It's one of my workout anthems. But using that during the final scene would work a lot better had you toned down the synthwave a bit. Right. In other scenes. So here's what I'll say, though. Like, the drive should have had a synthwave score, maybe have something really mildly in the background. And, like, that beating, that... Mm-hmm. happens during the action scenes. It's kind of, like, synthwavey, but not really. But it has, like, just the very base beats of something you'd recognize from a perturbator or, you know, gunship or, um, you know, a carpenter uh, brute. Um like I said, this is checking. This movie does fucking check out my boxes. <laughs> um, talk about scratching sounds right there, Jesus. Uh, you know, like it would work better if you like pulled back on it and just had those moments of you know using your score to just kind of like key you into the next synth wave, mm-hmm. but having it constantly, I'd agree. And, uh, and that's my problem. Like at a when like especially on a color palette style, if you're going to lean in to like because like the guess, the framing of the guess is really reminiscent to me of. Um, like the the title, like the uh, title font is uh-huh. really similar. It reminds me of a, an old horror movie from the late '80s, House. Uh-huh. I don't know if you remember that one. Uh-uh. It starred um, what's the uh, George Went? I believe is is in House from Cheers. Yes. Oh, nice. Um, but it's about like you know just this haunted house sort of like feeling, but it has like this goofiness to it. Um. And like a lot of these moments that feel like this, but that's a much more atmospheric movie. And there's some moments of atmosphere, like that party scene's atmospheric. That final prom scene has like a kind of faux atmosphere. But then like the well, quarry yeah. scene, which is written really well and really fun dialogue, and like Ethan Embry, Joel David Moore, who are like really good kind of like B grade actors mm-hmm. that like really playing off each other. With um, Ethan Embry's not B grade. Ethan Embry's A. A-lister all the way. Okay, fine. Ethan Embry is A-lister. Vegas Vacation is his coup de grace. Joel David Moore, noted B actor of movies like Hatchet and Avatar. Uh, Avatar is a B movie. Avatar fucking stinks. (laughs) It does. Well, I hope you get ready for four more of them. Um, I'm not going to go see any of them. Dan Stevens, you know, they're all working together. Great scene. That scene's so, like, well lit. And I don't know why it's so well lit. And I don't know why so many other scenes are so well lit. And then, like, they're contrasted with... Like the scene is really well lit, okay? And it's in the sunshine. It's during the day. There's the desert. It's mountains. Blah, 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 blah. Not mountains. It's a quarry. But it's like there's a hill. There's yeah. elevations. You know what I mean? You have that opening. There's a trap. There's supposed to be like a trap. You have opening shot of like the jack-o'-lantern, which I'm not sure how high that jack-o'-lantern is supposed to be on anything. It's, on, it's like a scarecrow thing. It's a totally different color. And it's a different type of... It's a different style of... of, of shot and it's shiny it almost looks like it's like um like a lithograph or something that's been embossed with a with a kind of silvery 
like sparkly chemical thing. You know what I mean? It's like almost got like a chemical wash on it. Yeah. Like it was like film. It's like, but why? And there's a, there's another shot like that, and then there's the weird shot where like the military comes and Dan Stevens is helping with the laundry, and it's slow motion, and like the things are all flapping in the breeze. And even that's daytime, and even that looks different. That looks almost HD compared to the other shots, which don't look HD. And it's just like well, I don't understand. Like, aren't you just doing this with this? Aren't you using the same camera? Aren't you have the same cinematographer? Aren't you the same guy? How can all of these shots look totally different? And it's not. It's not a small. I mean, it's a five million dollar production, so it's it's smaller. But when you compare it to your next, which um, had a one million dollar budget, at least mm-hmm. your next, like you have still haven't seen your next, right? I mm-hmm. assume at least your next, like carries its red and, and and dark like kind of like amber browns um throughout and i'm i'm only focusing on the color palette because you know you're watching it or, or in the shot composition in the sense that it's it seems to be for me evidence of the fact that this movie is just is very like from a cer- a couple of elements is very slipshod and kind of just like well it is what it is like we didn't have any money so here's the thing that we're going to do that being said, I had a lot of fun watching this movie. Yeah, I it's think a it's a pretty it's, fun movie. It's fun. Like, I, I mean, that's why Dan Stevens list. is fucking great. Um, Michael Moore Monroe is is um, an interesting actress. She's a good. She's I don't, really solid final girl sort of like character. Yeah, I just she's she seems like very aware. She seems very heavy. Like, there's a real gravity to like to her kind of understanding of. I hope you, I get used to, you should get used to that. <laughs> there's not like an innocence to her, which is I think is cool. And you're not sure like where the innocence went. You just know that like this girl has like seen some shit, yeah. which is which is cool to play. It's cool to play off. It's cool that like Dan Stevens is like the devil gets to play off of this girl who like isn't a saint. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where I think that I think that's the instinct with some of these horror movies that like oh she's a super virgin. She wears a chastity belt like she's never even looked at a boy we're gonna spend this whole movie wondering if she's gonna kiss her boyfriend that her parents don't want her to have it's like no she's been all she's and, she's been there and i would i would actually i would 100 percent say this movie couples really well with me with with it follows i think i appreciate it follows a lot more because of something like this and i think it follows this kind of like the culmination of of what i wanted from a horror movie in terms of doing film like actually being an actual film, not just also, a thing that we just got made by the skin of our teeth. Yeah, but something that's actually like a guy trying, and he, he probably kind of gets a sense of that. That's what David Robert Mitchell tries to do. Like at least, like even our opinions, you know, of um, Under the Silver Lake aside, like he's trying uh, to do something. Um, yeah, I mean, he just he failed miserably in Under the Silver Lake. He does, but he but not because of, not for lack of trying. Yeah, he just oh, he just didn't. He wasn't trying to do the right the right thing. the right things. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, this movie's this movie is fun, and it it hits it hits the hall like from a writing standpoint. It's it's made it's written to be fun, just like your next was written to be fun. A million ways to die is a little more written to be just traditional horror. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited to actually kind of see. He's not doesn't have anything else really in in the the bucket, but Simon Barrett I think is a really solid um, 
writer of horror. Yeah, like, I think there's a lot of good things. He's kind of he's kind of like isn't doing anything now. Adam Wingard's kind of moved on to Kong versus Godzilla and whatever else he's going to be doing. I'm hoping Simon Barrett kind of pops back up. Maybe does another VHS movie because I could I could go for a fourth one. Well, yeah, well, that's the thing about the VHS movies is that they're totally. I don't like them, but they're totally unpretentious. Maybe some new VHS movies. Yeah, you made me watch that Gareth Evans, Gareth Edwards, oh, right, right, Gareth right, yeah. Evans, Evans, whatever it is. Um, you know, I don't care. They're not. They don't do that stuff. Doesn't do anything for me. You know what I mean? I just. I, I think it's. Um, it's interesting if you do it really well. And so that was one of the things I said to you off, off, air, via text. Was like if you're gonna make a low budget horror movie, you gotta fucking do some inventive shit with it. And that's kind of why I like some of those VHS movies. Well, yeah, because like, they really go like those directors are like, I have this much money, I want to do this. How am I gonna do it? Well, that's why like, like talking about, I think Adam Wingard's more interesting when he doesn't have money or he doesn't have a lot of resources. So, like Phase One Clinical Trials, the first thing off of VHS two that he did with Simon Barrett is really interesting because mm-hmm. it's like you know a ghost that you can only see through your fucking cybernetic eye and like that stuff's kind of but it's interesting because it's it's really lo-fi mm-hmm. and the guys like he's a lo-fi guy he's he's not one of those guys that can but transition well here's the thing though like ty west is a lo-fi guy too but and ty west made money with or made movies with way less money more complicated movies with less money but, and that feeling of dread though is really because he's a because he has a sensibility and a sense of how, uh, like, of composition and structure, he can inspire that sense of dread, that horror in a movie without... And, but while this movie is just like, you, he literally needs to be shooting someone in the face for me to care well, about I, any of these, I about anything that's happening. To, find, to, to actually finish this conversation, I have an interesting kind of opinion on that, in that Ty West always struck me as kind of like that nerdy guy who really knows this shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's hanging out with those two bros and Joe Swanberg and Adam Wingard who just like love drinking beer. And, and like Mark <laughs> Duplass. Like Duplass is kind of like the pretentious one that scores all the girls. So like Mark Duplass is the pretentious one that scores all the girls. Adam, uh, Adam Wingard's kind of like the show-off guy. He thinks he's like really smart, but he's not. And then um, Joe Swanberg's kind of like the, the meathead guy who's been dating the same girl since like... 11, like 10th grade. This is like our Gaspar and, Noe von Trier Aronofsky yeah. conversation. And, and Ty West is like the guy who's like wants to hang out with him because he, you know, he's like, I could be one of the cool guys, but he actually knows his shit. That's yeah. How, that's how I take that from those four. That's, and I think that's a fair assessment. I'm a big mumblecore guy if you guys didn't get that too. This mix is like all the way. This just hits all my buttons. It's not a great movie. It's fun. It's fun. It's, it's really fun. It is fun. But if you're, if you're a motherfucker who loves mumblecore... Horror movies, action movies. And Downton Abbey. Downton Abbey. Really attractive British men. Really attractive blonde women. Leland Orser. <laughs> and Synthwave. I do. And you know what? This We've got some movie. Leland Orser movies on our list. They're coming. He's always there, yeah. Get this fucking thing off of me, Mario. Get this fucking thing off of me. We're talking about the same thing, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, if you want to get something, some fucking thing off of you... Off your chest, that is. <laughs> you can tweet us at twitter.com slash filmpivotal. Uh, or you can uh, send us an email at pivotalfilmpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, or you can go to pivotalfilm.com and see lists of the movies we talked about, the list of the beers we drank, um, how to subscribe. Um, you can contact us through there. Um, I wrote some shit. I wrote 
like a page and a half or so for of notes. Um, I may turn them into an essay form and put them up there. Um, for Tommy Boy? For Tommy, for, or, yeah, for my Tommy Boy kind of before sunrise, nice. like, re, like be, epiphany there. Um, you know, if you want to fucking give me shit about Avengers Endgame, I'm also I'm always willing to listen and get into a if, discussion. If, with however, you. you want to give a shit about how Bows Point's a good beer, save it. Fucking save it. You know what? You can't. It, I, it's a tasty beer. I think it tastes good, but I'm not. But I don't think it's a great. I don't think it's like an all-time great beer. And I also think it shouldn't cost eighteen dollars at the $18? fucking grocery store. It's it cost eighteen dollars. Yeah. You know how much, you know much fuzzy baby ducks cost? Twelve dollars. Twelve bucks. You know how much super nut cost at the liquor store? Like a. It was like a. It was twelve. It was and you actually, know what? Once again, twelve dollars. I can't go to the grocery store and get a lot of this, or any of it. I go to a stop and shop right now and get six six packs of. But Ballast you Point you, you could just go to like a liquor store, like just a regular liquor store locally, and get Super Nut. Sure. You know, but once again for twelve dollars. Right. That's what we're saying. That's all we're fucking saying. Until then, go see a movie, not Avengers Endgame. Drink a beer, not, not Scoping. Not Ballast Point. And we'll talk to you next week. Okay.